The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. We gather in worship to remember some word that is true in the joy of faith when grace is present. To see someone who is good in the joy of faith when grace is present. To hear something that is beautiful in the joy of faith when grace is present. The liturgy, music, and homily are offered for our gathered congregation here in Marsh Chapel, for our radio congregation across New England at NPR, WBUR 90.9 FM, and for our internet listenership now and later at WBUR.org. We welcome your prayerful and material support, your written and emailed responses, your self-selection of forms of ministry in our midst, and as the Spirit moves, come Sunday, your presence with us in worship. Today, this Reformation Sunday, we receive the beauty of Bach through the service and love of our collegium, choir, organist, and director. We receive the word of faith through the ministry of our chapel associate for Lutheran students, Ms. Jessica Chica. And we remember Martin Luther, Luther ensconced in conic glass here in the nave of Marsh Chapel. Luther, who famously said, here I stand, I can do no other, God help me. Luther, who celebrated the gospel, sola gratia, sola fide, sola scriptura. Luther, who named the letter to the Galatians his Katie van Bora, his lover, wife, spouse. And Luther, who splintered the church for the sake of the truth. Splintered the church for the sake of the truth. Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also, the body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. As we are able, may we stand in the praise of God.
may we pray together. Almighty and everlasting God, increase in us the gifts of faith, hope, and charity, and that we may obtain what you promise. Make us love what you command. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. A lesson from the book of Jeremiah, chapter 14, verses 7 through 10 and 19 through 22. Although our iniquities testify against us, act, O Lord, for your name's sake, our apostasies. Indeed, are many, and we have sinned against you. O hope of Israel, its savior in time of trouble, why should you be like a stranger in the land, like a traveler turning aside for the night? Why should you be like someone confused, like a mighty warrior who cannot give help? Yet you, O Lord, are in the midst of us, and we are called by your name. Do not forsake us. Thus says the Lord concerning this people, truly they have loved to wander. They have not restrained their feet, therefore the Lord does not accept them. Now he will remember their iniquity and punish their sins. Have you completely rejected Judah? Does your heart loathe Zion? Why have you struck us down so that there is no healing for us? We look for peace, but find no good. For a time of healing, but there is terror instead. We acknowledge our wickedness, O Lord, the iniquity of our ancestors, for we have sinned against you. Do not spurn us for your name's sake. Do not dishonor your glorious throne. Remember and do not break your covenant with us. Can any idols of the nations bring rain or the heavens give showers? Is it not you, O Lord our God? We set our hope on you, for it is you who do all this. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join me in reading responsively verses from Psalm 84 with the antiphon. your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, indeed it faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. 
Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young. At your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Happy are those who live in your house, ever singing your praise. Happy are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. The God of gods will be seen in Zion. Please rise as you are able for the singing of the Gloria Patri and the reading of our gospel. Jesus Christ according to St. Luke chapter 18 verses 9 through 14. Glory Glory to you, O Lord. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, was praying thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tenth of all my income. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even look up to heaven, but was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his home, justified rather than the other. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, Lord Christ. Grace and peace to you from God, our Creator, and our Lord Jesus Christ. 
As the Chapel Associate for Lutheran Ministry and a two, hopefully three-time alumni and a former musician, it is a great honor to be on the pulpit on Alumni Weekend, Reformation Sunday, and during our Bach series. After all, Bach was a Lutheran, even if the piece today is a Catholic Mass. I'd like to share a personal achievement with all of you. Two weeks ago, I posted a Facebook status about foregoing the gym to eat an apple cider donut. That status received 51 likes. 51. That's the most likes I think I've ever gotten on a single status update. It was a proud day in social media for me. As many of us in the congregation, I utilize Facebook and Twitter to update my friends, family, and acquaintances with the exciting, confusing, joyful, upsetting, and sometimes mundane aspects of my life. And I look to see what my friends are up to, uh, liking and commenting on their daily adventures and mishaps, keeping me connected with people I would have otherwise forgotten or lost touch with had it not been for social media. I'm at the elder end of Generation Y, the millennial generation, a generation that has been able to engage with thoughts and ideas from all over the world through the internet, a generation that is accustomed to screens, would rather text than talk, and is not afraid to share information with others. A generation that is often referred to as the me generation because of how frequently we reflect upon ourselves and often what we expect for ourselves from society. A genera generation that can carefully craft and edit their lives to alter how others perceive them online. As a generalization, we are not well known for our humility or our privacy. The Pharisee in the parable in today's gospel is an exemplar of orthopraxy. He does everything he's supposed to do and sometimes even more, like fasting twice a week. Can you imagine what his status updates would look like? His prayers are thankful, but they fail to show any sense of humility. In addition, he degrades those whom he perceives as sinners in his prayers of gratitude, setting himself up as one who should be exalted for his behavior. If he were truly humble before God, he would be able to relate and emphasize with the needs of those who are sinners, seeing them as human beings who deserve respect and may actually need his assistance instead of setting himself apart from them. The tax collector, on the other hand, exemplifies humility. He does not boast about his accomplishments or his status. He only asks for God's mercy. He is an example of a marginalized member of the Jewish community perceived as a traitor because of his association with the Roman Empire. He's not expected to act in a humble manner, but in doing so in this parable, emphasizes the importance of a humble attitude. Jesus uses the examples of the Pharisee and the tax collector to warn the disciples against becoming too full of themselves. Much like the Pharisee, we have no problem patting ourselves on the back. To further our egoism, we anticipate those red notification balloons that let us know our friends like our statuses or that we've been retweeted or favorited. We like, no, we crave attention from others. Sherry Turkle, MIT professor and author of the book Being Alone Together, points out that our self-identity has been, become so closely tied with our online identity that we've fallen into the trap of, I share, therefore I am. She explains that we don't feel like we're living unless we're sharing our lives through some other media. We also have the ability to self-edit in an online world, meaning that we can shape the way others see us, leading others to never truly know our real selves if they only encounter us online. 
As a fellow alum of Boston University, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. would say, we suffer from the drum major instinct. Quote, to be important, to surpass others, to achieve distinction, to lead the parade, unquote. It's just that today we have more opportunities to gain this recognition and receive the feedback from others that let us know we are as important as we hope and think. Humility, coming from the Greek word humus, meaning ground or dirt, lowers one's self-importance. It's a challenging virtue to cultivate, especially in a society that encourages selling yourself, and it enables some of our deepest desires for recognition through immediate gratification systems like social networking. Additionally, we're told that as individuals, we are responsible for our own futures, making it difficult to see that help from others and selflessly helping others is, an es is essential if we're going to make it through our lives. We are relational beings, and to refuse to recognize the other is to fail to fully live into our human existence. Religious life has a special way of emphasizing the need for humility, especially before God. In worship, we set aside a time in which we humble ourselves before God during the confession. Dr. Jarrett, how does today's piece tie in with this idea of humility? Well, Jessica, thank you for asking. Um, and I'm delighted to reveal that all of the answers are in my forthcoming installment of that age-old book, Humility and How I Achieved It. <laughs> <laughs> and I also, um, my mother, I think, is listening, and were she here, she would let you in on the dirty secret that I was a drum major. <laughs> Mostly because I wasn't good enough at any of the other instruments to, to mar I couldn't march at the same time as playing an instrument, so <laughs> I was just in charge, and that's often how it goes. Joking aside, I'm, I'm delighted to spend a moment uh, with you to explore our musical sermon for the day. I'd also like to point out those of you here uh, in the Navit Marsh Chapel will see two figures carved into the wood on either side for Jessica and me today. Uh, I have the honor of being greeted by Handel, George Friedrich Handel, here in the wood, but Jessica preaches from Bach's side, and Bach uh, is, you have Bach on your side today, Jessica. So. Today, we present the first of four installments of our Bach experience uh, in, uh, with Bach's greatest masterpiece, the B minor mass. And I think it's fair to say that any encounter with the music of Johann Sebastian Bach is as humbling as thrilling a prospect to any musician. Long hailed as the greatest piece of music of all time, the B minor mass is something of a holy grail for musicians and music lovers. In its pages, we find music's apogee, a musical Everest. And from these heights, we find that perspective only gained from awareness of the ultimate. But let's back up a minute. Today, we hear the entryway to that great musical cathedral, the B minor mass. Today, we hear the Kyrie with its three movements. Through its sounds, we are struck by the solemnity, the grandeur, the urgency, and indeed, the humbling scope of God's mercy. In the second movement, as we implore Christ's mercy, we find assurance of pardon in the ease and bounty of God's redeeming grace through Christ Jesus. Cast as a duet for two sopranos, today sung by Carrie Shunskis and Emily Culler, the joy, variety, 
and contentment of life's sojourn through Christ's mercy practically leaps from the score. The lovely, and dare I say human, Christe is bookended by two grand and noble curies. Here is where Bach teaches us about his kind of humility. Now, with the possible exception of a Beethoven, I can hardly think of a bolder composer than Johann Sebastian Bach. As with Beethoven, we are aware of the presence of an extraordinary genius. And though we may not be able to articulate the reason, the music of both composers has the capacity to embolden the listener, to encourage vitality in our living, to inspire a zeal for humanity, and all of this in the way that only music can. But the music of Bach pushes us a little farther, at least in my opinion. Bach reveals to us our possibility, both individually and communally and corporately. He reveals to us who we can be, who we maybe ought to be, who we should be. A year or two ago, President Bill Clinton spoke down the street at Symphony Hall. And one of the themes of his speech was that of framework. In President Clinton's context, our system of government, our social contract, our order of society creates a framework by which we can each participate and excel at citizenry. And when this system, this framework, breaks down either in little or in part, as we may or may not have recently seen, we lose our model. We lose our framework. That is to say, we lose the construct which allows us to serve and help one another to our best ability. For Bach, that empowering framework is form. And this morning, that form is fugue. Bach might have said, the framework for love or for a bold and vital living is the law. Or rather, the law is fulfilled by the love of Christ. And love is fulfilled best when informed by the law. You see, Bach shows us how to live, how to express, how to engage, how to be joyful, how to be thankful, but the key to that freedom is found only in humbling oneself before the source of that grace. If we lose sight of our source, God's communing grace, we diminish our possibility to make a difference in the world. Dean Hill often exhorts us to live fully as an engaged people, people of salt and light, he's fond of saying. Bach provides a path for us to be people of salt and light, fully authentic, fully committed, all forged and humbled by the framework of God's redeeming love. And we see this passage to humility through humility, beginning this morning with the Kyrie from the B minor Mass. It is important for us to humble ourselves before God, recounting what we've done and what we've left undone, how we've supported others and how we've left others down. However, we must claim a balance between our humility and our pride. We can still be confident in ourselves, but we have to temper that confidence with self-awareness. We can be proud, but we have to temper that pride with modesty. 
Humility does not mean that we have to always be meek or subservient to others, but that we recognize when there is an appropriate time to be humble. This sermon would be incomplete without me mentioning Martin Luther. It is Reformation Sunday after all. The great reformer led the way for many Protestant movements by questioning whether the church's practices truly reflected God's will or were corrupted by human desire. Luther is not particularly known for his humility, but he valued humility as one of the foremost virtues of Christianity. Humility enables us to serve God in the best way possible. It allows us to serve our neighbor in a way that our neighbor neighbor deserves to be served, not for our own benefit, but out of love and for the needs of the other. In the freedom of a Christian, Luther reminds his readers that in having faith in Christ and receiving the grace of God, one becomes a little Christ whose actions should seek to serve others. Our faith enables us to receive the grace of God and frees us to choose to serve others as Christ served us. It is only through the recognition of the self in relationship with God that one can find a sense of contentment that removes egoism and promotes humility, opening the individual to deeper relationship and fellowship with others. Martin Luther King Jr. agrees with Luther's idea. He states that our drum major instinct is best used in serving others. By possessing a heart that is filled with the grace of God, our desire to be the drum major is found in God through our Christian love and devotion towards others. It is a selfless love that attempts to improve life for others, not because one is coerced into doing so, but because one recognizes the value and worth of that other human being and his or her right to live in a just and loving world. I've been pretty hard on my generation up until now in this sermon, but I'd like to close with some good news. Although we are called Generation Me, we are also called the civic-minded generation. These two labels do not seem to go together, but increasingly individuals in my generation are concerned about the status of others as well as themselves. Participation in community service organizations, volunteering, and vocalization on social issues are hallmarks of our generation. Our worldview has been shaped by major events, 9-11, wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, economic meltdown, and most poignantly for those of us here in Boston, the marathon bombings last April. Our reliance on technology not only allows us to express ourselves, but it allows us to see ourselves on the global landscape. Having the opportunity to interact and react to global issues from our laptops, tablets, or smartphones. Social media enables us to maintain connections and in times of crisis, make sure our community is safe and that those who need assistance can find it. We are more connected than ever, and in some cases, more willing to help than ever. Serving others through volunteerism and activism requires a sense of humility in order for it to work. One must be willing to listen to the needs of another in order to truly serve them. BU is a great example of service-minded individuals as 4,600 volunteers participated in over 100,000 hours of community service last year alone. And even today, the servant team of Marsh Chapel is exemplifying this desire to serve others through their drive for goods for the homeless 
that will be assembled into We Care packages right here in the chapel this afternoon. So a call to action for my generation. Let's make our legacy known as the civic-minded generation, not Generation Me. I'm not saying that we have to completely give up on the self-reporting we do in social media, but perhaps we should pare it down and instead use these platforms as means to spread awareness. We need to strike the appropriate balance between our online lives and our real lives, making sure that these two not only align, but enable us to maintain our, our humility. We can only truly make connections with others at a basic level if we see them as people, not just as names or pictures on a screen. We can only ensure the health of our communities by being willing to be open to others. It is only through hum humbly listening to and inter interacting with our brothers and sisters that we have the opportunity to learn and grow into a community of little Christs. Amen.
Dear friends, we remember this morning that Bach gave us God's word, Mozart gave us God's laughter, and Beethoven gave us God's fire. But God gave us music that we might pray without words. We give thanks this morning to Dr. Scott Ellen Jarrett, the Marsh Chapel Choir and Collegium, for their leadership of prayer of us this morning. Oh, and the Thurman Choir. Welcome to them, too. Peace of the Lord be always with you. We greet you once again here in the nave of Marsh Chapel and invite you to participate in our ritual of friendship by putting your name and contact information in the red books found along the center aisle of each pew and passing that book along to your neighbor so that we can get to know you and your neighbor better throughout the coming weeks and help you to get to know one another. Today is an exceedingly busy day here at Marsh Chapel. Immediately following the service, the Marsh Chapel Choir and Collegium will be boarding buses down to Manhattan. Uh, where tomorrow at 1 we'll be performing uh, the Kyrie and the Credo from the B minor Mass at Trinity Wall Street's Bach at 1. This is a big endeavor for us here at Marsh Chapel, and we are grateful for and dependent upon your support to make this happen. You will find an opportunity to support this endeavor in your bulletin or through online mechanisms at the Marsh Chapel website, bu.edu. Slash chapel. Immediately following the service today is also a meeting for those, uh, an informational meeting about children's education here at Marsh Chapel uh, that will be at 12 10 p.m. in the Marsh Room downstairs. We hope that you can, those of you with children, can participate in that. And finally, after the service at 12 30, uh, we care packages, as just mentioned in the sermon, will be packed uh, this afternoon from 12 30 to about 2 30 or 3. Uh, light refreshments will be provided. As the ushers wait upon us for the morning offering, please meditate upon Dietrich Buxtehude's Nun bitten wir. Now walk in love as Christ loves us, an offering and sacrifice to God.
Awaken us to the claims of your will, O God, and stir us with a passion for your kingdom, but also our praise and our thanksgiving. We ask that you use these gifts for the upbuilding of that kingdom, but also you stir us to give our lives. In your name we pray, Ashe. bless you and keep you. The Lord's, Lord's face shine on you with grace and mercy. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. <laughs> 